God is telling the people that are living in the time of the Qa'im that accept him and that recognize him, don't worry if you see uh, something that looks off or something that's suspicious. Don't worry if you if you hear rumors about this dawa. Uh, it was done intentionally. If you see something like this, disregard it and hold on tight to the righteous servant because there's a lesson and an explanation in the end which you shall receive. My dear brother Mahmoud It's not just uh, good to be with you here today, but it's all the goodness to listen and hear and drink from your divine, pure knowledge. God bless you, Mahmoud. Uh, and uh, thank you for joining me here today and the honor is mine. Yeah, it's a great chance for me. So Mahmoud, uh, today we want to talk about uh, a very important topic and that is the relationship that Surat al-Kahf in particular has with the Qa'im, okay, and the, and the end times. And we know that uh, in the end times, as narrated in the hadiths of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, uh, we have different characters that appear. Some are good and some are bad. Uh, from the good uh, characters that appear are the, the Qa'im, the Mahdi, uh, Imam al-Mahdi, uh, the Yamani, uh, the Nafs al-Zakiyah. And we have from the evil characters uh, that appear during this time is uh, the Sufyani, uh, Iblis and also the Dajjal, right? The Antichrist. And we have uh, narrations actually uh, from the Prophet Muhammad that state that whoever reads Surah Al-Kaf on a Friday, what happens? Uh, he's protected from the fitna of the Dajjal. Exactly. He's protected from the fitna of the Dajjal. So there must be information, there must be knowledge, uh, there must be something in regards to Surat al that would make people uh, be safe from the fitna uh, of the Dajjal. And at the same time, uh, you have other narrations from Muhammad and the family of Muhammad that say that the Kaf, Surat al has a very strong relationship with the Qa'im and his companions. Now, Surah Al-Kaf, it's the 18th uh, Surah in the Quran, and in it are uh, several different stories. Uh, but the three most famous stories uh, that are listed uh, in Surah Al-Kaf is the, surah, the, the story by which the Surah itself is named after. Uh, Al-Kaf means the cave. And this is a reference to the story of the seven sleepers. Uh, the seven sleepers are uh, well-known saints in Catholicism. And so uh, Catholic Christianity um, uh, considers them to be holy individual. And uh, they are seven in number. 
and uh, in Islam they are mentioned uh, and their story is mentioned in Surah Al-Kahf and actually the Surah itself one Surah out of the whole 114 uh, Surahs in the Quran is named after um, these seven sleepers and for that reason there's an extra emphasis and importance uh, that's placed on them uh, the second uh, story uh, that is uh, of significance and importance in Surah Al-Kahf is the story of Moses and the righteous servant. And we're going to get to that after uh, the story of the seven sleepers. And last but not least, uh, the story that is highlighted that's also of extreme importance in Surah Al-Kahf is the story of Dhul Karnain and his journey. So let's start with the uh, story of the seven sleepers. In short, uh, what is their story? Their story is that they were uh, seven youth. Uh, some narrations uh, state that they were noblemen, and I'm talking now from uh, Islamic sources as well as Christian sources. And uh, they uh, used to work in government positions, high government positions. Uh, they had access to the uh, to the emperor, the Roman emperor, and it was during a time after the crucifixion um, and after the passing of Jesus Christ, and uh, it was before the time of the coming of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi and 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 so they were caught. Also, it was also a time that was before the um, uh, the adoption of Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so uh, we're dealing with the successors of Nero. They're still in power. Uh, they had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they hate Christians. Uh, they were doing, there was a time where they were doing uh, vicious things to anybody whom they found out to be Christian. Christianity was spreading throughout the uh, Roman Empire and uh, people were beginning to abandon um, the gods of the Romans and the Greeks, uh, the worship of Jupiter, the worship of Zeus and Mars and other uh, uh, false deities and false religions. And uh, they were uh, moving towards uh, belief in monotheism and accepting uh, Jesus as their uh, Messiah. And so these guys got, uh, uh, they were repelled and disgusted by the actions uh, of the emperor and, and, and his soldiers. Uh, the tyrant of that time uh, was, uh, was taking Christians and he was basically stripping them of all their belongings. Uh, they were raping their women. Uh, they were uh, uh, killing them uh, unless they would go back off their faith. And the Christian martyrs during that time, they had such extreme faith in Jesus Christ that uh, they would refuse. They would choose death always um, instead of being, uh, you know, uh, being apostates and going back on the on the faith. So, so they had uh, various uh, methods of torturing these Christians. Some of them, uh, they would bring these large uh, pots of uh, of oil and they would burn it, uh, basically heat it up until it became uh, boiling, and then they would tie the Christians uh, to some sort of pole and they would. 
uh, drop them down into the burning, uh, slowly make them come down into the burning oil uh, and, and pull them back up again. And it would just be a skeleton. All their flesh would have uh, melted off and their bones, uh, you know, fell apart. Uh, in the burning oil. Uh, Nero was famous for turning uh, the Christians into human candles and basically, um, you know, uh, impaling them uh, and hanging them on the sides of the uh, streets uh, in Rome and lighting them uh, with gas in order that in order that uh, basically in order that they light up the streets. Yeah, they become street lights. And uh, so there was, it was, it was a horrific time to be living in. And uh, the emperor was hell bent on forcing everybody to make sacrifices, uh, you know, bring sacrifices to the to the altar in order that he may, uh, the altars of the false gods, in order that he may expose uh, who is really a Christian uh, because the Christians also at that time uh, they were practicing taqiyya they were they were hiding uh, their faith um, unless they were basically like found out um, in order that they may reach more and more people and 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 propagate the faith and in order that they don't uh, get killed and so that was the time period that they were living in uh, that was the scene that was the location and uh we we you know and when i talk about the roman empire i'm not just talking in in europe i'm talking also in what turkey in the middle east they were occupying uh, the entire region and um, it's been a great mystery which people haven't been able to uh, confirm for sure where is the exact location uh, that the uh, seven sleepers lived in and where is the location of the cave itself um, some people say turkey other people say uh, jordan, jordan um, but it's it's still uh, it hasn't been uh, like revealed uh, by um, by the mahdi yeah. and so they decide that they want to um, escape escape working for uh, this evil uh, emperor and uh, they are hiding their belief as christians and so they decide one day uh, they take their dog and they retreat and they go to the cave they go to they find this cave and they hide there and they hide there because they don't want to be in a society that worships other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They only believed in obeying the representative of God. They believed in the supremacy of God. And they didn't want to, um, you know, be serving uh, the tyrant. So they disbelieved in the tyrant. They believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because the society was following the man-made laws uh, from the devil, which was uh, the, the laws of the, of the tyrant oppressor who is oppressing the uh, people of God, they decided that they're going to uh, go and retreat uh, to this cave so they can hide away from, uh, you know, from the oppression that, that, that they're undergoing and from serving this guy. Um, they didn't know what it is that they were going to do, but they knew that they would never go back. And they were led by, the group was, they had a leader, his name was Maximilianus. And uh, they 
basically they basically uh, fell tired in the cave uh, after retreating to it and 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 they end up falling asleep and for them it felt like they were only falling asleep for a night but in reality they fell asleep for many 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 years 309 years yeah 309 years according to uh, some narrations and according to the implication that's uh, in the quran it was 300 years plus nine and uh, they end up waking up uh, and they find themselves in a different world they're unaware that so much time has passed but they feel hungry but they look the same they haven't aged they their hair hasn't grown longer it hasn't grown white they look at each other they see themselves the same preserved in the same condition as those uh, as it was the day that they went into the cave and so they walk out of the cave uh, they look around but they're scared because they don't want the tyrant who they think is still alive to and his armies to find them and so they nominate uh, one of the youth uh, and he was the guy who was the in charge of the Bitmel the house of funds he's the one that kept the hold of the the money uh, that the group owned Yamlicha uh, and Yamlicha ends up going down to the city disguised he wraps a uh, you know like a shawl over his head and he kind of goes down into the city uh, him and maximilianos in order to check out and see um, you know if they're if they're but it was over two stages actually but in the long story short Yamlicha, he goes in the town um, to buy some things. He, the people don't accept his money that he has. Uh, they say this is an old currency. It's not even in use now. Uh, they, he says, what are you talking about? Uh, the people over there uh, tell him that basically you're living in this year. Uh, he's freaking out. He starts asking about, you know, what, what are you talking about? How is this possible? What about this emperor? What about that person? He realizes that they've been uh, transported. Uh, you know to a different world uh, they've been transported to the future um you know many many years after uh after the day that they went into the cave and everybody that he knows has now passed from the world with the exception of his companions he rushes back uh to the cave um and he informs the companions uh, the seven sleepers uh, at the same time all of the people in the city they start talking about this man that appeared with this old currency and you know and that was claiming that they were living in a different age and and all of this and word spreads until it gets to the king and the king who is there is a christian king he's a righteous king who is appointed by god and he takes the whole city and they go to to the cave of the seven sleepers where they meet meet them over there and uh, they all celebrate it as a great miracle uh, that these men because of their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because they retreated from society and because they took the cave as a shelter uh, and because they had faith that that God uh, does not misguide those who are uh, sincerely uh, looking for him and and because they believed in Jesus Christ um, you know God protected them from death and sent them forward uh, you know 309 years 
later and after all of the city uh, honors them and and they witness them as a miracle and they all hear uh, their testimony uh, they're offered uh, you know a place in the city and to please come down and and the seven sleepers decide that you know no they want to go back into their uh, their cave and that's what they do they go back in the cave and this time uh, they pass away they lay back down to fall asleep but this time they pass away and then uh, the king he basically shuts the cave and preserves it and it becomes a a uh, you know like a tomb for them but at the same time uh, a great miracle and the relationship that it has with the cotton and and its companions and why it is a protection from the fitna of the antichrist is because obviously uh, that which is taking place in the time of the antichrist in the time of the mahdi uh, in terms of the political atmosphere and that which is going on in the world parallels exactly what was taking place uh, back in the day uh, in the time of the seven sleepers uh, the people were rejecting the proofs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they were appointing uh, their own ruler um, they were living uh, being ruled by tyrants um, and in this day and age the entire planet is living and being ruled by tyrants and suffering uh, from their decisions while those who are appointed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, are oppressed the similitude of the of the cave in surah al-kaf it is talking about that cave which the seven sleepers went into but it also has a hidden meaning and the cave's hidden meaning is the qa'im. The qa'im is the cave. And the seven sleepers are the companions of the cave, meaning they're the companions of the qa'im. And even there's a little bit of a wink or nod to this notion uh, in the narrations where it states that some of the companions of the qa'im whom are resurrected and return in the time of the qa'im are these seven sleepers. When the qa'im in one narration appears, he appears with him and he has with him uh, the seven sleepers. And so uh, the qa'im is the cave. Uh, it's an allegory for him. And the sleepers are the companions of the cave. When the companions of the cave the ansar of the qa'im retreat and go away from society uh, in order that they may take the qa'im and his da'wah as a shelter the supremacy of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and declare themselves innocent from the tyrants that are existing in society today what happens the quran says that god spreads for them from his mercy and they obtain the knowledge and the favor uh, of God by taking refuge and shelter uh, with the cotton. Exactly. And what does the what does it say in English that the uh, uh, happens to them when they take shelter with the with the cave? That um, sustains your matter and guides you on your way and prepares you prepares you. exactly, exactly. Yeah. so uh, that's that's what happens uh, in the time of the qa'im the companions they retreat from society they meet up with the qa'im they make hijrah to him they abandon declare themselves innocent and they take him as a refuge and god sustains them 
and God prepares them for uh, what is to come. What is to come? That state that they will see, that they will wake up to, um, and they will find, uh, and that was uh, the seven sleepers, they found that they were living in a Christian state, a state now that went from being anti-followers of Jesus to pro-followers of Jesus, uh, a state that went from being unjust to a state that was just and had a righteous king instead of an oppressor. Same thing happens with the with the companions of the cave in the time of the cotton. God prepares for them a way, and they end up seeing a divine just state. A state, even, even though it's unbelievable, even though it nobody understands how it will happen, and it takes place by a miraculous way, those companions of the cotton will see a just state in their lifetime in the same way that um, the seven sleepers saw a just state, uh, even if it meant that God had to prolong their age for 309 years, the same thing applies to the uh, Qa'im and his companions. And there's some narrations which even mention that uh, the prophet swearing and saying basically that even if God had to make a stretch out a, a day so long that he would do so in order that the earth be filled with justice and equity as it was uh, filled with injustice and inequity, etc. You know, so that's in terms of the uh, companions of the uh, of the cave and the first story and its relationship with the companions of the cotton and the cotton. The second story that we have is the story of Moses and the righteous servant. Uh, basically, Moses, he's told by God that he has to go on a journey. And where does he go? He goes to the Majmal Bahrain, the uh, meeting point of the two seas. And this is also a place that many people have uh, sought to search out and they didn't know exactly uh, where it is. Some people have said that it is in the Red Sea. Other people said it's the Mediterranean Sea. Some people say that it's this country. Other people say that it's that country. Uh, uh, at that country, uh, some people say, but... Um, at the end of the day, it, it has remained a mystery that only uh, the Mahdi and the Qa'im uh, will reveal when the time is, is right. And so he meets this righteous servant. Uh, when, he meets this, when he meets this righteous servant, there's life that's surrounding him. And uh, there are fish that they had brought with them for food that was once dead springs to life and goes swimming into the sea. And this righteous servant, who's a source of life, and everybody who's around him uh, is filled with life, begins to teach Moses uh, several important lessons, three in total. Um, and basically, Moses is tested at the very beginning with this righteous servant by being patient and not disbelieving and not disobeying. The righteous servant emphasizes to Moses that in order to accompany him and learn from him, he has to uh, be patient and to not object to anything that he sees. Okay, uh, so it's patience, 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 and then submission. This is the message of the righteous servant to Moses. And Moses promises that he's going to do so. And they go on their journey.
And at the first point, they reach these poor people who are in a ship. And uh, they ask the poor people that have the ship for a ride. And they welcome them on the ship. And the ship begins to sail at sea. And once the ship takes off, uh, Moses looks down and he finds that the righteous servant begins to uh, basically uh, put a hole in the ship. He begins to damage it. And Moses immediately objects. He says, what are you doing? These people were extremely nice to us. Is this how you repay good doers? How could you do this? Are you trying to sink the ship with its people? Are you trying to destroy them? Oh. Now pay attention to that. What were you going to say? Now, if anybody in that situation, they will... They will have the same reaction if they don't know, except the apparent. Moses was judging by the apparent that these are nice people. And um, and why is he harming them? Because he, he thinks, he knows more than uh, the righteous servant. That's why he said what he said. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what he was tested in with submission. You know, and part of submission is to, is to have faith uh, more faith in the messenger or the representative of God than your own self. Part of Taslim is that you trust the Imam's eyes more than you trust your own eyes. You trust his mind more than you trust your own. You let him think for you and you let him see for you and you let him hear for you. You're trusting the messenger's senses more than you're trusting your own. And so the righteous servant continues uh, on the journey after that. He tells him, look, Moses, you've already objected. Did I not tell you that you're not going to be able to handle it? And Moses repents. He says, I'm not going to do it again. And then they continue their journey. And they get to a second point where they see uh, a child and he's playing. And uh, the righteous servant uh, goes over as Moses is, is, is admiring this little boy. And, and, you know, thinking about how cute he is and, and all of that. And the righteous servant goes up to him and the narration state that he bashes his head in and slaughters him. And uh, so this murder takes place now where Moses is with the righteous servant and the righteous servant just murdered somebody, but not just anybody, a, 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 a person who did not have a sin and a child at that who had not even reached the age of being held accountable for uh, their actions. And so this was a grave sin in Judaism. Uh, it was a total contradiction uh, to the teachings and the Torah which came down upon Moses and what he had heard directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he freaked out and he says, uh, you know, uh, have you killed a soul or a self without any sin? Surely you have come forward with an abomination. You know, surely you've committed a great abomination. And the righteous servant uh, ends up telling him, you know, did Moses, did we not go through this already? You know, did you not promise that you were not going to object? Did God not send you to me? Did God not command you to obey me and to walk with me? I told you to remain silent and not object. And here you are objecting for a second time. I told you that you can't handle this. Moses then, he says to him, please forgive me, master. You know, 
let me continue to walk by you and learn from you and i swear that if i object again you can release me okay and don't let me accompany you any further i promise you i will never object again and so the journey continues and uh, what takes place after that is that they reach this city and the city has people in there that are non-believers that are extremely nasty and they won't give the righteous servant or Moses or his youth uh, who's accompanying them on the journey, Joshua, son of Nun, uh, with any food to eat. And uh, they were growing tired. And every time they would ask somebody for shelter, they would say no. Every time they would ask somebody for water, they would say no. Every time they'd ask somebody for food, they would be rejected and spit on and abused. And so finally, the righteous servant sees this wall that's damaged in the city, and he runs over there, and he begins to fix the wall. And Moses looks over at the righteous servant, and uh, as he's in a, in a state of annoyance, he says to him, you know, you could have charged those people for fixing that wall after the way that they treated us. And at that point, the righteous servant turns towards Moses and he says to him, this is the end of our journey. You know, you've objected for a third time, no more. And that, in summary, is the story, except that in the end of it, the righteous servant, obviously, he reveals the hidden lessons behind and the reasons behind everything. So he says, you can't accompany me anymore but I'm going to reveal to you why I did the things that I did. And then he says, as far as the ship goes, uh, there was a tyrannical king who was coming by and he was seizing all of the ships. And because these people were mesquine and they were righteous people, I wanted to damage it. So that way, when the tyrant comes through, he wouldn't want their ship. And as for the boy that I killed, I know that he was going to grow up to be a tyrant and to oppress his parents. And for that reason, I killed him in order that God may replace his parents with a seed that is righteous. And he said, and as far as the wall, there was a treasure under it and it belonged to two orphans in the city. And I wanted to repair the wall in order that I may protect that, that treasure for them and safeguard it so that uh, nobody else from the city uh, brings it forward. And the comparison that it has, this story, uh, it also has a, a comparison or a, or a lesson in it, uh, a parallel with the Qa'im and his companions, uh, a very important one which will help all those whom live in the time of the Qa'im and live in the time of the Dijal to avoid uh, the Dajjal by having success by accompanying uh, the Qa'im and not uh, basically disbelieving or running away from him at one point. Uh, the, the likeness uh, between Moses and the righteous servant is the likeness between the Qa'im and the companions. The companions of the Qa'im, they are required to be patient with their journey with the Qa'im and to be submissive and to not question him um, in the same way that Moses was required to be submissive and not question uh, the decisions that the righteous servant was making. Uh, 
And those three incidents that took place with Moses and the righteous servant will also take place in the da'wah of the Qa'im. And the narrations of Muhammad and the family of Muhammad, as well as Ahmed Hassan, he spoke about uh, these matters. And he said that in the time of the Qa'im, uh, there will there will be damage that will take place to the ship. And the ship will belong to the companions of the Qa'im. And the ship is the community of the Qa'im. The community of the Qa'im or the companions of the Qa'im, uh, the da'wah of Oops. the companions of the Qa'im, uh, will be damaged. So in the apparent, those tyrants who are looking from the outside and even the people on the ship will see that there's something wrong with this dawah or they will think that there's something wrong with this dawah. But in reality, those the thing that was, uh, there's nothing wrong with the dawah, but it was just damaged intentionally by the Qa'im in order to protect it from tyrants recognizing that this is the true Qa'im and the true Dawah of the Qa'im. So he ruins the reputation of the, of the Dawah or he does something to uh, make people think we don't have anything to worry about in terms of this Dawah. It's a false Dawah. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. And all of that is done to preserve the lives of the Qa'im and the companions and to allow the religion to propagate. So it's as if God is telling the people that are living in the time of the Qa'im that accept him and that recognize him, don't worry if you see uh, something that looks off or something that's suspicious. Don't worry if you, if you hear rumors about this da'wah. Uh, it was done intentionally the 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 may perhaps it was companions of the cotton that were ordered to do so or uh the cotton reveals and pushes people to reveal their true selves in order that they may come out god causes them to do something that will damage uh, the dawah and its reputation if you see something like this disregard it and hold on tight to the righteous servant because there's a lesson and an explanation in the end which you shall receive the second story, Imam Ahmed Hassan and the Ahl Bayt also said will will take place uh, with the Qa'im. Uh, the Qa'im, the righteous servant, kills a boy uh, who has no uh, sin, and the narrations of the Ahl Bayt stated that the Qa'im will be with his companions, and there will be a man who is standing above the Qa'im, at the head of the Qa'im. Uh, he's perceived to be um, perhaps a boss of the Qa'im. And he's commanding the people, um, and, and commanding the people left and right ahead of the Qa'im. And then the narration states that the Qa'im says to turn that man around. And then when he's turned around, he's killed for no sin that is known to the people. If that happens, then don't disbelieve in the Qa'im. If there are people that are in the Tao that the Qa'im ends up having a confrontation with, or he ends up excommunicating, 
or he ends up banishing or ends up discrediting no matter what happens hold on to the cotton the narration states that this person who is at the at the head of the cotton and that is giving people orders left and right ahead of the cotton that when the cotton kills him nothing remains between the east and the west except that they fear the cotton so that means that this individual who was killed by the cotton according to the narration regardless of what the true meaning of killing is uh, this person who was killed by the Khan, he is perceived as being somebody extremely important, somebody who is not normal, somebody whom the companions would have never expected that the Khan in a million years, they would have never expected that he fight against him. SubhanAllah, this um, hadith, that the narration that says that the Khan will rule by the rule of David, means he will give judgment without needing a proof or evidence why he did so. Exactly. He rules by the Holy Spirit. And so he judges his companions by the disbelief that he knows that they will commit and what he knows is in their hearts rather than something that they had committed. And, uh, and there's also other narrations that state that uh, the matter of the cotton is prolonged, you know, so it's not just like something where the Mahdi appears and then all of a sudden there's like wars and, and, his, and his companions magically appear and all of this. No, the Dawah of the cotton, it's prolonged. He has a Dawah for a very long time. His path with his companions is extended until the closest of closest people to him become those who bear the greatest enmity towards him. The closest of closest people to him become those who hate him the most and seek to, to uh, fight him. And, and so these are all warnings. Uh, and it's warnings that are in the uh, Surah Al-Kahf. That if you're with the Qa'im and he ever condemns somebody even if they are the closest of closest people to him, even if they are known to be as innocent of a child, even if you love them so much, like Moses admired uh, this, this youth, and you didn't know that they had committed any sin and you see them as being blameless or perhaps even oppressed, don't ever fall in that mistake of questioning the cotton. Hold on tight to his judgment because he knows best uh, what's in the people. And then the third uh, story that happens with Moses and the righteous servant also replicates itself uh, in the time of the Qa'im, and that is the wall. Um, and the wall uh, in the time of the Qa'im is, uh, has a treasure underneath it, and that treasure is the treasure that the Qa'im will bring out, and that treasure is the 27 letters of knowledge uh, that he will spread amongst the people that were previously uh, unknown. Uh, and, and so that is also a forewarning to tell the people that if the Qa'im brings out knowledge, and he brings out that knowledge by doing works which are contradictory to logic, like fixing the wall, or in its apparent it is helping oppressors, or in its apparent it is something which goes against the jurisprudence, or goes against the laws of God, don't ever question him. If trust his intellect, trust that God is with him, trust the spirit that's with him, and trust uh, his eyes rather than your own eyes, 
and your own uh, mind and your own uh, logic. And then finally, we have in Surat al-Kahf the story of Zulkarnain and his journey. And basically, Zulkarnain, he is a, a king who is appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he's also a prophet. And the proof that he's a prophet is the fact that in the Quran, God is speaking to him. Uh, he's inspiring him and telling him, Oh Zulkarnain, go do this. Oh Zulkarnain, go do that. And so obviously he has communication with God. And so he is one of the prophets. He's a messenger. And the story of Zulkarnain in short is that he's a righteous king and he's given great authority. Uh, authority that resembles the authority that was given to Solomon uh, in terms of the the earth and his ability to conquer. Um, but he's not given necessarily uh, the because Solomon had a greater kingdom and that is because uh, Solomon had the knowledge of the language of the animals and he could control the wind and different things like this. So, so Karnin, he didn't have that, but he had great knowledge and ability and he was able to travel uh, in the land. And he makes uh, many pit stops uh, from the rising sun of the uh, of the of, uh, from the place of the rising of the sun to the place of the setting of the sun and everything uh, that is in between. And people uh, for many years have been dumbfounded in regards and confused in regards to the description of the of the journey that uh, Zulkarnain uh, undertook. Uh, they've uh, tried to map out uh, where are these places and who are these uh, people and creatures that he encounters because also he encounters uh, Gog and Magog uh, in there and he's responsible for building a wall and uh, they've guessed everything from it being uh, you know uh, uh, that the wall of Zulkarnain exists uh, in Russia to it being the Great Wall of China to uh, other locations on the earth and they've also uh, some people have written books and, and theorized about the fact that it was an interstellar journey or a space journey um, that took place. And so in short uh, Zulkarnain uh, he is given ability by God to travel and to conquer. He's on a quest uh, according to the narrations, uh, his quest that he's on is to find uh, the uh, fountain of youth or the tree of life, uh, that source which would grant him uh, everlasting youth and life. Uh, and uh, he had with him as a companion another prophet, uh, Prophet Jeremiah or Al-Khidr. And uh, Al-Khidr stumbles across the fountain of youth while he doesn't. And the reason that's given in the narrations is because Zulkarnain was looking for him. And the fountain of youth uh, made itself known only to those who were not looking for it. You can only find the fountain of youth if you, if you actually don't want to live forever. It's uh, kind of this paradox. But all those who are who are searching for eternal youth are unable uh, to find it. Uh, and so if you if you want to die and you want to meet God, God might make you stumble across the fountain of youth. But if you are actually greedy and want to remain in the earth forever, then uh, you will never be shown 
where the fountain of youth is. It's an impossibility to find it. And so Khidr stumbles across it. He drinks from it unknowingly. He didn't even know it was the fountain of youth. He just thought it was water. He drinks from it and he ends up, uh, you know, basically after that point, giving life to everything that's around him, earning the nickname Al Khidr because of that, the green man. And also, um, you know, staying alive for a very long time. Uh, time period and the person that drinks from the fountain of youth basically they stay alive until they will to die themselves and then they can die so they their soul will leave their body uh, uh, willingly instead of uh, unwillingly but if they don't want to leave then no matter what happens uh, if they're hit by a car if they fall from a high place if they're hit by a sword uh, struck by a sword then their body automatically regenerates uh, itself and so uh, basically Zulkarnain, uh, he travels and during his traveling, uh, he encounters different people and uh, some people that can barely speak a word. And there's other people that um, are uh, seeking his help in certain things to, uh, they say that Gog and Magog are terrorizing them and to build between us and them a wall to protect us. And that's one of the accomplishments that Zulkarnain uh, accomplishes, and that is that he builds this wall between between the disbelieving people and between the believing people, and the people that believed in Zulkarnain and the people that rejected and disbelieved uh, in Zulkarnain. And so the similitude and the comparison that can be drawn here uh, and is drawn by the family of Muhammad in regards to the story of Zulkarnain and uh, the Qa'im of the family of Muhammad is that he is given that which Zulkarnain was given. Uh, Zulkarnain is given ability in the land, the Qa'im is given ability in the land. Uh, Zulkarnain is inspired by God, the Qa'im is inspired by God. Uh, Zulkarnain uh, builds a wall that separates between the disbelieving people and the believing people. Zul uh, the Qa'im also builds a divine just state and establishes a da'wah that separates between the people of God that believe in the supremacy of God and all those who believe in the supremacy of man. And this wall is erected and it, and it separates between all those who are like Gog and Magog and those who are from the people of God. God also grants uh, Zulkarnain absolute authority. Uh, he tells him uh, at one point uh, when he encounters the people, he's, God tells him, as for these people, uh, you are free to do whatever you want with them. If, if you want to uh, basically punish them, then punish them. And if you want to do good to them, then do good to them. It's up to you. The matter is in your hands. As such, God places the matter of his servants uh, in the hands of the Qa'im, uh, for everybody on the earth has been condemned with sin. And so the Qa'im has the, uh, the choice uh, as he encounters the people of the earth to either punish them for their sins that they are deserving uh, of punishment for, uh, or to forgive them uh, their sins. Uh, the Qa'im has the ability to forgive sins and to condemn people and uh, basically establish uh, the, the punishment upon them 
uh, for their sins. So the, uh, uh, the nobody can blame him for anything, and that's one of the things that the narrations from the family of Muhammad uh, say about about the Qa'im, that no matter what he does, uh, even if it's contradictory to the people's logic or to the jurisprudence, um, you know, he he's not to be blamed, nor is he condemned by anybody uh, on the earth. And so uh, the story of Surah Al-Kahf, the stories in Surah Al-Kahf are extremely uh, important for all those who seek to prepare themselves uh, for the path and the journey, um, you know, towards the Qa'im of the family of Muhammad and for all those who seek to be a part of God's people that are protected behind the walls of Zulkarnayn against uh, the uh, the enemies from Gog and Magog, um, for all those who seek to uh, draw and, uh, and, and see the divine just state and take the cave as a shelter, uh, the stories that are in the uh, Surah Al-Kahf will serve as a reminder. SubhanAllah, so this is what the Prophet meant that Surah Al-Kahf protects from the fitna, not as a spell, but as understanding at the time of the fitna of the Dajjal, how it's going to be, understanding these studies. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you know, the Quran says many times, Mahmoud, it, it asks like the believer who's reading it, you know, and, and it, 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 God talks about the believer and he says, uh, in the Quran, do they not contemplate over the words? Yeah. Do they not think? That's you know, horrible. do they not have a mind? Uh, you know, and do they not understand? And so, what's required of a person in in regards to the Quran is that as they're reading the words, uh, that they understand them. That is where the power of the Quran lies. The Quran is of no benefit if a person is is reciting it and repeating letters and phrases and words uh, without uh, him being consciously aware of its meaning. And, and uh, it's the meaning that has all of the importance. And so uh, reading Surah Al-Kahf uh, on a Friday, like some people do, and they're not even consciously aware of what it is that they're reading and they don't think about it, uh, serves as no protection whatsoever. Uh, uh, it actually might end up being a curse on them uh, because then uh, they'll go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having uh, been deceived by the Dajjal and being a follower of the Dajjal or the Antichrist um, and at the same time, you know, having had access to and read uh, every Friday the, the um, you know, the Surah Al-Kahf. So what is their excuse then? They read the words, but they were like animals, like cattle, rather more astray or like the donkey who's holding on its back, you know, many books and not, uh, and not benefiting him. Uh, in any way, shape, or form. So it's all about uh, the meaning. It's all about extracting uh, the wisdom uh, from the stories. SubhanAllah, even, even the day Friday, why Al-Kahf on Friday? Friday is known to be, it's the day of the Imam, Imam Mahdi. So it's as if it's referring to, uh, if you want to know Imam Mahdi, the time of his rising, the Qa'im that will take you, um, you Yom have to understand these stories. Exactly. Yom is Jum'ah. Jum'ah. Jum'ah is, is for the, the, the day of the gathering. Yeah. You know, the, that is the, the day of the gathering of the companions of the Mahdi, the companions of the Qa'an. SubhanAllah. 
God bless you. It's been an extreme pleasure to have you here, Mahmoud, and uh, to have this discussion with you. And inshallah, in uh, many future episodes to come, you'll, you'll join me. Thank you so much. This was an amazing episode. Nobody ever has um, explained the stories in Surah Al-Kahf in that way, except somebody who knows the Quran from God himself. God bless you. Thank you so much.